Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 155 of the podcast for August 2nd, 2012. My guest today is Jim Benson. He's the author of the book, Personal Kanban, Mapping Work, Navigating Life. He's the founder of a company with a really great name, Modus Cooperandi, and he's most notably the creator of the personal Kanban approach for managing work. It's uh, it's not Kanban as in materials management, if you're thinking just-in-time and tubing Kanban systems for factories or hospitals, but really it's it's a way of visualizing work and setting WIP limits or work-in-process limits, much the same way as a Kanban might be used to trigger or limit production in a factory setting, but this is something that's useful for knowledge workers uh, and anybody really. It's a really interesting approach. Um, if you go to leanblog.org slash 155, you can see show notes and a link uh, to Jim's website, his personal Kanban 101 site. Uh, it's a real um, nice treat to be able to talk to Jim as, as he was commenting um, before we did the podcast. It's surprising we haven't talked before, but happy to get introduced to Jim. I read his book last year. I'm trying, I need to get started with um, this personal Kanban philosophy. I know a lot of you listening um, are, are already using it, and I know a lot of you are fans of this approach. So I hope you like the conversation. I'm going to get my button gear and um, start visualizing my work and doing my best to limit whip so I can get more done or at least be less stressed and enjoy what I'm doing. So thanks again for listening. You can get all past episodes through leanpodcast.org. Well, again, our guest on the podcast is Jim Benson. Thanks for talking to us today, Jim. Thank you. So if you can start off, um, introduce yourself uh, for the listeners, um, you know, the, your professional background, the work that you do. Okay. Well, my professional background was a, a bit of an odyssey. Um, I started off in psychology, um, enjoyed it quite a bit, but it didn't quite resonate with what I wanted to do, how you know close I wanted to be to, I guess, the action, if you will. So I went into urban planning so I could build cities and things like that. Spent about a decade doing huge multi-million, multi-billion dollar projects, uh, building freeways, light rail systems, massive growth management efforts and things like that. And as I was doing that in the early 90s, uh, the internet came along and the internet started to change the way that 
government had to interact with its data and its information. So I became more and more involved in the information side of, of governance. And in so doing, I became frustrated with some things about government where it wasn't being very good stewards of its data and it wasn't um, very collaborative. So I started a software development company uh, that was just building software for government, custom software, to help them be better stewards of their data and more collaborative. And when I started doing that, I, um, I adopted uh, techniques for software development called agile techniques, uh, which were somewhat lean and focused. And in doing that, I had to actually contract with government agencies to make that work. Um, as we went through those, we became more lean, actually, and less agile. And um, at one point, we found out about uh, Kanban systems, and most importantly, about the visualization techniques in there and the um, limit the importance of limiting your work in progress and introducing that into software had immediate effects um, that led to another radical transformation in my career where um, we wrote a couple books and the next thing we knew we were going around and talking about uh, kanban systems and changing the face of software development that way um, and in 2008 uh, opened my current company, which is uh, Modus Cooperandi, and we are just dedicated to knowledge workers and knowledge workers working better through lean and other techniques. Yeah, that's that's a, a, a great company name. I chuckled the Thank first you. time I read that, Modus Cooperandi. And uh, we'll, we'll certainly delve more into um, your books and work around um, Kanban and, and personal Kanban. I'm curious to chat a little bit first um, may just touch on lean versus agile. I think we've got a lot of listeners who are um, out from outside of software and manufacturing and, and healthcare. Wonderful. So is agile just a different term for lean? Is it a subset of lean practices? How, how would you describe the difference or the translation into software, well, the term? So lean, uh, you know, if you ask anybody what their definition of lean is, you will get a very different answer from the person before. Uh, some people focus on waste, some people focus on the hum humanity, and so on and so forth. Uh, agile is a little bit better defined, but is, is very, it's also, there's the state of mind side and the state of process being side. Um, the history of Agile is this. Uh, in the um, previous, we'll call it the before times, the before Agile, um, there were waterfall systems that were used to develop software. So people would show up and they would say, we think that we want this. And in our completely ignorant state, we have developed a spec and we want you to adhere to this spec and deliver us some software in six months. We'll be back in six months. You guys have a good time. And then they would leave. They'd come back and they'd be surprised when what they got wasn't what they wanted, cost twice as much and actually wasn't complete and was half broken. Um, so Agile came through and said, well, you know, so first it was extreme programming. So a guy named Kent Beck wrote a book called Extreme Programming Explained. Um, and that was kind of what launched the Agile revolution. And Agile was saying a couple of things. One, we don't communicate enough. 
So we're going to force our clients or our bosses or whomever is, is providing us this work. We're going to say every two weeks, we're going to meet, we're going to have a conversation, we're going to show you working software, we're going to figure out what we're going to do the next two weeks, we're going to leave, we're going to do that, and then we're going to come back and we're going to just keep iterating until uh, we're complete. And by doing that, they were limiting their batch sizes and they were keeping the cost of change low. Um, light years better than the system that came before it. So, so that was fantastic. So, you know, if anyone who is familiar with lean systems can see some of the, the lean things that were happening there. Um, the agile also came with helper apps like retrospectives and daily standup meetings, which are like you know, quality circles and well, daily standup meetings. Um, and so it felt, Agile felt that it was lean, but it wasn't quite getting some of the theory. And so Agile didn't do a very good job of actually limiting work in progress. It was limiting batch sizes, which was fine, but it wasn't limiting work in progress. So that's where a lot of Agile's, in my opinion, anyway, that's where a lot of Agile's failings came from. Yeah, sounds like it was um, to, off to a good start in terms of uh, smaller batch, faster cycles of, uh, of iteration instead of just a big chuck it over the wall batch. Exactly. I mean, the, there, there, there's parallels there to, um, you know, um, car product development cycles that have gotten more um, iterative and collaborative over, over time. Publishing, though, has not really developed a lot, adopted a lot of that model. It's still more yes. of a, it's a waterfall approach to producing books, but that's a, a different, a different rant for a, a, a different podcast, I guess. So let, let you know, bring, <laughs> bring the topic back to, um, to Kanban and personal Kanban. You know, I, I, it was interesting to me to, to see your work and um, I'll let you, you know, explain what it's about and the origins here. Um, somebody, let me borrow your book on personal Kanban about a year ago. But, you know, from my perspective, and I think from the listeners, you know, when I started in manufacturing, Kanban was either a method for, you know, pulling parts and supplies to an assembly line, or it was a production control system. Of, right. Um, helping um, trigger, um, you know, the production of parts that were then uh -huh. fed to the assembly line. And in healthcare, Kanban is, is being used um, quite often now for, uh, medical supplies, patient supplies. I, I posted, um, there's a, a great video um, that a hospital in Pittsburgh put together mm -hmm. that I shared on the blog recently. Um, the, the idea of applying Kanban to your own personal professional work, I think is a, a fascinating idea. So can tell us about personal Kanban, you know, what it is and, and maybe in telling that way, what some of the origins are, how it came about. Well, so back when, when I was a consulting engineer, um, let's say that we're redesigning a freeway uh, and I am the project manager for redesigning that freeway. Uh, one of the things that actually led me to quit <laughs> the profession entirely was that 90% of my work was telling other people what other people were doing. So um, clients would call up and they'd say, what's your team doing today? And I would tell them what everybody's doing today. And that would take maybe an hour, an hour and a half. And then I'd hang up the phone and somebody else would call and ask what we were doing. And then I'd hang up the phone and someone else would come and call again. And then by that point, half the day had been gone and I didn't know what anybody was doing right now. So I'd have to get up and walk around the building and ask everybody what they were doing. 
So no one really knew what was going on. Uh, there was this massive game of telephone, which had incredible transaction costs attached to it. And that extended into software. So even when we limited our batch sizes with, uh, with Agile, people still had to meet every day and tell them, tell each other, this is what I did yesterday, this is what I'm going to do today, and these are some challenges that I'm happening, having, having. So even though we were able to reduce the transaction costs to that little stand-up meeting, you still had to get together and basically waste your time telling people what everybody should already know. So <clears throat> um, knowledge work in particular is difficult because we don't have physical artifacts of production. So lawyers, software developers, designers, uh, accountants, you know, most of the people doing most of the work in the American economy today store almost entirely, almost their entire backlog in their heads. And there's too many variables there for you to deal with. So uh, with personal Kanban, what we were hoping to do was two things. One was to visualize that work. So externalize all of that stuff so that you can see it all listed out. You can start to see the relationships. You can understand your prioritization models. You can see risk. You can see flow. Um, you, you can see bottlenecks, uh, you can understand a variety of things. And the second thing is to actually make an explicit limit on work in progress. So the two rules for personal Kanban are to visualize your work and to limit your work in progress. And then after that, things tend to happen organically. So you know, lean focuses a lot or American lean focuses a lot on, on waste reduction. Waste reduction tends to happen naturally when any professional sees that something is wrong and they can't ignore that thing that is wrong. So, you know, you talked a lot about how to give workers agency so that they can act. Uh, and what I found is that people usually have agency. They just don't have the information that they need to act. So with personal Kanban, when people list all of the stuff that they're working on and all of the stuff that's in their backlog, whether they're an individual or a team, there are other people that they work with can see that they're working on something at a given time and they can lend assistance when necessary. And it's almost zero transaction cost assistance. Um, you eliminate the need for um, status meetings uh, you eliminate the need to come up with long lists of stuff and rewrite your long lists of stuff to do. Um, and uh, that's that's where it's from. Yeah, and it, there's an interesting, yeah, you raised an interesting point there about the, the coordination and collaboration aspects. You know, I, I'm sitting here in a home office and uh, if, I, if I were, um, as we were talking before the podcast, I am, I, I think, seriously now going to start some personal experiences, experiments with the personal Kanban board. Um, but maybe other than my wife seeing that to know what's coming up in my work travel future, things like that, there, there aren't those same collaboration benefits. So I think you know, maybe on first impression, people think, oh, this is just a, a personal productivity um, way of keeping organized. But it, it sounds like it's a lot more powerful when you're in a team environment, as you're, as you're describing. So I mean, if you can kind of elaborate or give an example of, of mm -hmm. that collaboration aspect. That's really interesting. Well, and, well the nice thing there is that uh, first for us, 
uh, as individuals, we have um, we put ourselves under a great deal of stress because we take on a lot of responsibilities from all of the different aspects of our lives. So we don't just go to work. And when, we do, and when we do go to work, we don't just do one thing. So we tend to have multiple projects. We tend to have multiple customers. And we have different, unfortunately, we have different segments of our lives. So we have uh, people tend to think of themselves as like a work segment, a play segment, a family segment, a learning segment, and so forth. Um, when we do that, we tend to prioritize our work based on whatever is the most obvious thing you should be doing. And that's usually based on who's ever yelling the loudest. And that's not a good way to prioritize your work. And so in the back of your head, you know you have all of these other expectations that you're not meeting. And I found that people make fundamentally different decisions when they visualize the problem versus when they're just intellectualizing the problem or thinking that their brains can actually sort through all of those variables and come up with a, a reasonable answer. So, so individually, it's, a, it's an incredible stress reliever. For teams and for organizations, it's an amazing efficiency and effectiveness engine. And yeah, it seems that you know, this personal Kanban approach goes beyond um, other approaches to productivity or organization of you know, making to-do lists or, you know, people might know, I haven't really been a devotee of it. I've read the book, um, Getting Things Done. Mm -hmm. um, it, it seems like one of the key differences is this idea of limiting WEP as opposed to mm -hmm. just visualizing it, whether it's on a board or uh, in an app or on a, on a piece of paper. So can you t tell us more about the idea of limiting WIP. I mean, I think people that are busy and, and high achievers are like, oh, you know, we can do it all. And I, you know, I can right. keep many balls in the air, irons in the fire. I'm a good multitasker. Um, mm -hmm. Talk more about this idea of limiting WIP. <clears throat> so limiting WIP, is, limiting WIP is like chess or like Go, where it takes you about two seconds to describe it. And then after you learn about it, you just keep realizing that it does more and more things and it's much more complex than you ever thought it could be. So when we limit our, right now, when you're not limiting your whip and you're not visualizing your work, there is no cost whatsoever to taking on more work, which means that you set yourself up as a limitless reservoir of other people's uh, expectations and your own expectations. And then we're constantly um, dissatisfied with ourselves because we're not able to get to all of the things that we want to get to. When we limit our work in progress and we start to focus on completion, so we say, I have a work in progress limit of three. I have three things now in my, in my doing column uh, or in some state of, of action, and I have to finish one of those before I pull the next one. Um, in doing that, we have created an economy where any one of those tasks that we take on is now one third of our entire economic universe. So we're going to be extremely thoughtful about what we pull in next. And we're also going to be more likely to both be able to say no from ourselves to, to additional work and 
to have an amazingly eloquent justification for doing so. So before, with no visual control and no whip limiting, if we said no to something, we, were, we felt disappointed in ourselves because we weren't able to help somebody else out. And we seem kind of like a, a wimp or a whiner because we're not able to do, to do this thing. And whatever the thing is we're saying no to was probably pretty easy to do. So we're evaluating that new work based on whether or not we're capable of doing it at all versus whether or not we have the capacity to get it done. Um, limiting WIP also, since you're placing a constraint, previously we had a big stagnant pool of stuff and we'd start a bunch of them and some of them maybe we'd complete over time, but by and large, we'd leave a lot of things undone. Just like when you have a large stagnant pool of water and you constrain it, it starts to flow. That's exactly what we're doing, what we're doing here. And now, one other thing I wanted to talk about while we still have some time here are, are some of the mechanics of um, making personal Kanban work. And, and uh, I'd encourage the listeners go to um, your personalkanban.com website. There's a lot of videos and illustrations of of, of the mechanics, so I don't think we need to, to you know, the, that detail is already out there for people to go look at. But one thing that's interesting is the idea of the, the tactile um, feedback to, mm. to the brain of, of the physical action of moving a card. And I'm curious if you can if you can talk about your experiences of that. And I'm also curious, as I'm thinking through using this, you know, I'm, uh, I could set up a board in my home office, but I'm more <clears> often than not on the road. So shy of, you know, putting a webcam up you know, yeah. to, to be able to, you know, but then I can't really change the board. You know, there, there are different ways in, in, in software mm -hmm. or, or apps of, of facilitating this. Um, what, what are your, some of your thoughts or experiences or you know, are there any trade-offs in, in these different approaches? So, so there's a couple, there's several things in there. So the first thing is the, the most effective system uh, for someone who's starting out, especially um, is going to be a physical board with, with post-it notes where you just write your value stream, whatever that might be, across uh, a whiteboard, you get some columns, and you just populate a backlog, and you, and you start going. Um, with that, I mean, as you mentioned, you get the kinesthetic or tactile feedback as you're moving things along. That has a direct uh, psychomotor response. So it's writing directly to your brain and saying, Ooh, you know, this felt good. That felt good. You get this little dopamine rush for completion. And, and it's, it's, it sounds silly, but, but it's real. And, uh, you know, if you can get your dopamine from, from post-it notes and, uh, not from sports drinks, that's probably a good thing. So, um, so that, and that's if you can do it. And, and right now, as I'm sitting here at my desk, I have, um, a personal Kanban that actually is my physical desk. So on the left side of me is my ready. On the base of my laptop is my doing, and uh, my right side is done. And I will do that for quick tactical things throughout the day where I need to keep track of things that I might not actually need to uh, keep for posterity. Uh, my business partner, Tony Ann, lives in Washington, D.C., and both of us travel uh, a great deal and usually are not in the same place at the same time. So since coming out with this idea, um, there are now 26 companies making online personal Kanban tools. 
And that's just the ones that I've been able to find and count because people keep saying, did you see this? And I was like, oh my, another one, really? Uh, I, I should have, I should have licensed the term. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but uh, some of the ones that are, are, are most enjoyable to use, um, uh, Convonery, uh, which is a tool out of Poland, uh, very clean, very elegant system. Uh, Kanban Flow is a Kanban tool that also mixes uh, another uh, tool called Pomodoro in with it. And Pomodoro basically breaks your work up into 25-minute chunks, which is something that's a little more cognitively pleasing to deal with. Um, and uh, Lean Kit Kanban is kind of an industrial strength one, excellent for knowledge workers as a group. Uh, but one, uh, one quick story that I have uh, is uh, I had a project with the UN in, um, in Vietnam, and our goal was to write the human development report for, for Vietnam. And uh, so I was working with 26 researchers spread throughout the country and a couple outside of the country. And um, I had them all writing their sections in Google Docs, and we were doing this collaborative writing technique so that subject matter experts in one area were lending their expertise to subject matter experts in another area. So they were all informing other sections of the document. And initially, we'd set them up with that system and a Kanban. And the Kanban worked really well for a few weeks. And then they stopped using it. And so we were having a meeting and I said, I noticed that nobody's updating the Kanban. And they said, well, we don't need to. I said, why not? And they said, because every day when we come in and we open up Google Docs, we can see who was writing since we were last in the, in the system because the most recent documents would flow to the top. And they said, and those are the ones that we edit. So the, the Google Docs interface was the Kanban. So, so the thing that the point I want to make here is that we want to visualize our work and we want to limit our work in progress and the form factor, the design of how we're visualizing the work is extremely fluid. So while working with a value stream and, and post-it notes floating across it is, is a very universal one. There may be other ones out there. Yeah. So it's, I guess not, so much a matter of the exact way that you're doing it, but more a matter of, of keeping with those principles of visualizing your work, limiting whip. Exactly. Whatever way you can find to do that. That's exactly. That's why when people ask me, what is lean? I send them to Deming's system of profound knowledge. <laughs> that's like my first stop for lean. Yeah. And uh, my ears always, Perk up um, here. Somebody else who who mentions uh, is familiar with Dr. Deming's work. Um, so maybe again uh, another discussion for another day. Um, there, there's so much more we talk about, and hopefully we can do another podcast at some point, Jim. I, I feel like we've kind of just scratched the surface and uh, hopefully introduced people to um, personal Kanban. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to give this uh, a serious go and. Um, and they give better context to do uh, another discussion down the road. But if listeners have got questions, um, you can send them to me through uh, through the blog. Um, Jim, if they want to reach you, um, personalkanban.com. And do you yep. want to share um, you know, Twitter, other, other places people can reach you? What's the best way? 
Yeah, so I, I am our founder on Twitter. Um, it, I'm basically our founder almost everywhere in social media. Um, and the, um, the easiest um, email address for me, I guess, would be jim at moduscooperandi.com. Um, which I know isn't the easiest thing to spell, but um, uh, it's um, it's also reachable through the the personalconbun.com website. Uh, and um, yeah, other than that, uh, the website's up there. On the website, there's a 101. There's of course links to buy the book, but um, there's also ample information on the website for people who want to get started. Great. So, um, yeah, info on the book is there. The book is also called Personal Kanban, Mapping Work, um, Navigating Life. Um, Jim Benson, the author of that book and um, innovator uh, in this area, thank you for taking time to talk on the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.